Well, hello. Welcome to the Liberty on Fire podcast, where conservative Joey and libertarian Tony talk about topics in the news and other things that are of interest to us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Joey. How you been? Good, Tony. How you doing? I am doing pretty good. I uh, guess we uh, had a chance to watch a football game over the weekend. Yeah. What, what did you think about that? Did You watched the Super Bowl, right? I did watch uh, I, probably most of it. I was entertaining some people here at the house, so um, you know, running around, kind of getting food ready and things like that. But I was definitely able to watch most of it. So um, I wasn't terribly excited throughout the game. It was kind of a defensive struggle, so it was on uh, more on the boring side. How about you? Yeah. Well, were you were you excited before the game? for the Super Bowl because no one had there, there was a lack of interest for this one because it's you know Tom Brady and the Patriots yet again and and plus what happened to the uh the New Orleans Saints right what they should be in that's right I think a, a lot of people were thinking the Saints got robbed uh with that bad call and that this is probably the game that shouldn't have happened <laughs> yeah it killed a lot of steam you know it would have been fun to see Breeze versus Brady I think yeah, and the Breeze and the Saints, they would have, you know, have a more powerful offense to go up against the, the, the Patriots. I, I mean, L.A., I mean, the Rams were good, but they really relied on Gurley most of the season. Their passing offense was okay, not great, um, but the Saints, the Saints really, by the end of the season, kind of had a really kind of polished team, passing, running, and defense. The defense wasn't so great starting out the beginning of the year. I had them on one of my fantasy teams, and I ended up dropping them. Yeah, that would have been a good storyline. The two, like, super old, I don't know how old a breeze is, maybe close to 40, but the really old legends, two Hall of Famers, some of the best ever, that would have been fun to watch. The Rams, I wasn't, nah, wasn't that interested. So what's your definition of old? Anybody over 35? Uh, well, about around your age, you start to get old in my book. Um, that that may explain all the pains I have when I wake up every day. That's that's yeah, that's it. But are you a Tom Brady hater like everyone else is? Uh, no. So I love Tom Brady. I yeah, don't know why. I don't. I don't hate him. Uh, I think he's a damn good quarterback. Um, he 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 always finds a way to win, and uh, he probably could do that on another team. But he was in this kind of special relationship or situation with the Patriots and Belichick that together they're not unstoppable, but they're pretty close, you know, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they're pretty unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, another thing too is I think his wife is a billionaire. So I think that allows him to always accept a little less money than he otherwise would be getting as the best quarterback of all time. Mm. I think he's like the 12th highest paid quarterback. Really? You know, oh. yeah, and that, that allows them a lot of flexibility, I would imagine. Okay, yeah, it deserves more. Let me see. Any commercials you kind of liked or didn't like? I didn't really like any of them, to be honest. Like, uh, I didn't, remember last year they had the Tide commercials, those genius ones where they're, like, talking about your clothes being clean up here in a Tide commercial, and then you're thinking every commercial from then on is another Tide commercial. Do you remember that? For some reason, I don't remember that. Oh, how do you not remember that? That was, the, that was like, the best one. That was the best... Yeah, it was like it looked like it was something else, like a commercial that had to do with deodorant or something like that, or a car. But everyone's wearing clean clothes. You don't normally know. You don't normally like you know think about that, but they are in commercials. 
So the guy comes out and he's like, you probably thought this was about this, but look at those clothes. It's a Tide commercial, obviously. Clean shirts. So not only am I getting old and my body's falling apart, and I'm losing my memory as well. Uh, yeah, that was a, it was really good because in that commercial he goes, doesn't that mean every commercial in the Super Bowl is a Tide commercial? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it's true. So that's what you were thinking about the whole time. I thought that was fun. I, I did kind of like some of the Bud Light ones, uh, especially when they kind of made fun of Coors and Coors Light for brewing with corn. Oh syrup. yeah, that was good. That was one of the yeah, that was one of the good ones I liked too. And then and then there's a Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I'm sure that was good. Whoa. Are you do you, how, do you watch Game of Thrones? How how can you not watch Game of Thrones? Well, I'm one of the only people in the world who who don't. We're in a very elite club of those who do not watch. I haven't seen a single episode actually. That's even worse. <laughs> so you would you would call Just, that an elite club? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Should I be watching this? It's uh, well. At this point, you might as well just wait until it's finally done with the last season, and then, and then can, I can binge it all. Yeah. I did. Uh, I do like the series. I, I've read two of the books, and I stopped reading the books because I thought mm. there was a chance that the author was he was kind of old that he was going to die before he finished it, and. Now at this point it's like okay, great series. He keep he kept writing some more books, so I'm gonna one day go back and read those. I don't know when, you know. Uh, hopefully not before I'm too old to read. Yeah, a few more years, yeah. But um, hey, just going back to the Brady thing, I want to tell a quick story. So there's this other uh, podcaster. His name is Jason Stapleton. He tells this uh, winners win story, and I re- I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of where the whole Brady comparison comes in. So Jason starts out by, you know, saying this is when he was back in Iraq. He was deployed overseas with the military, and he's having a meal, watching the news, and uh, there's something political on the news. Uh, politicians look like they're making some kind of stupid decision, like they normally do. And you know, Jason asks his buddy at the table. He's like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And the guy says, "I just, I don't care." And Jason's get he gets a little worked up about it. He's like, "What do you mean you don't care? These people are making decisions that could affect your life and everybody else's life." And and he says, "Look, Jason, I'm a winner, and winners win. I don't care what they do. They can try to keep me down. It doesn't matter. I'm going to win no matter what." Mm-hmm. And so after you know that, I can easily see a strong comparison between that story and Tom Brady and. The, maybe the Patriots in general, or Brady and Belichick, whatever pair you want to put together. But uh, yeah, all they got to do is they just make it into the playoffs, and then that's kind of when they shine. You know, they didn't right. have the greatest season, but then all they needed to do was get into the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. The haters will say that he uh, finds a way to cheat every time, and they're in the weakest division in the NFL. I don't know. I I think he's the best. Uh, I mean, it, it's. Hard to argue with his amount of success. Yeah, you can't argue it. Unless you have anything else to say about Super Bowl or football, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for next year, I guess. So you said you had a, uh, a Jesse Smollett update. Well, just a couple more weird details to me that I that I learned about after our last podcast. And remember, he said that he had been assaulted by two people, two white guys, who shouted something like, this is MAGA country, called him a racial slur, tied a noose around his neck, 
and then poured bleach on him, right? That was, yes, that was the summary. So a couple weird things to me were, oh, yeah, he was coming back from Subway, too. That was the thing. So apparently there's footage that the police have of him entering, I think, his apartment. So it takes place after the alleged assault. And he still has his Subway sandwich in hand. That's a little weird to me. Uh, did, did he... So after the bleach and the noose, he still... And the was, noose. He held on to the sandwich. The bleach, the noose, and the beating. And the beating, that's right. And he went... He was in a concert, because apparently he's a, a musician as well. Huh. And in the concert, he addressed the crowd to talk about some of the details. And the, at the end, he said, and, and I fought back. You know, something like that. And the crowd cheered. So a beating, a noose, bleach poured over on him, and he fought back but still kept the sandwich in his hand and walked away. It's a little weird to me. I don't know what you think. Maybe the only way I could square that is if he hadn't been eating the sandwich yet and it was still in its wrapper and it fell, and then afterwards he picked it up and went on his way. I don't know. Well, did, did the sandwich get wet with bleach? These are good questions. I See, I think the sandwich is the key. Was he If he was eating that sandwich... There's no way he still has that sandwich in his hands after all that. That's true. If it was still like, you know, in its wrapper and he was just taking it to go and he's going to unwrap it when he got home, you know, okay, maybe. Right. Well, I mean, at this point, I think I'm kind of, uh, I'm a little concerned because if he, if it was wrapped in paper and the paper bag got wet with bleach and then he ingested the bleach. Yeah. He, he I'm, could, I'm worried about his health. Yeah. He could do some more damage on the, uh, on his esophagus and stomach. Uh, that's not good. Yeah, eating bleach, it's not a good thing to do. Yeah, I mean, remember that time you tried, you tried that in college? That didn't work out so well. It didn't, it didn't go well. I learned that. Yep. So I'm an advocate for not consuming bleach. But uh, besides that, the noose that was tied around his neck, it wasn't a noose. It was a thin clothesline, something like that. So it was a thin sort of material, um, not, you know, rope. And the police are looking into that to see because apparently they can tell that it was just open from the package so it's new material so they're looking to see where that was purchased maybe in some local stores and then on top of that he didn't he he had the noose around his neck the entire time in you know he walked home with it left it there and then at first he went to the hospital to get checked out apparently then he went home and called the police and left the noose around his neck so i heard it was about 40 minutes during that time. So it, that's a weird thing to me. And he says it's because he wanted to preserve the evidence. Well, how come the police didn't go to the hospital? I don't know, because he went, he didn't call the police at the hospital. He later that he later on called them after a while, I guess. Huh. And, and then he, you know, reported it all and he wanted to, he still had the noose around him. I'm, I'm really confused by that, because why would you, wouldn't you get that off of you as soon as you, you know, they ran away? If two guys tied that on you, you wouldn't even think it'd be instinctive. Let me get this off me and the bleach that was just. So he says that to preserve the evidence. That's so fishy to me. It's so weird because think about this. If you're trying to preserve the evidence for the police to come and check it out, wouldn't the first thing you do is call the police? Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, that or certainly don't eat the sandwich. Did he save the sandwich? Yeah, no, the sandwich is the big, uh, I, I, the sandwich is the key. I want to. I want to know more about the sandwich. Thank God he saved that. That's good. Okay. I'm hoping he did. I mean, that's the whole. That unlocks everything. To this mystery. So I don't know. It's a little weird. It's getting more fishy as I hear about it. Like I said before, I don't want to jump to a conclusion just to you know dismiss this guy. But if I'm being honest, I don't really 
by his story. Yeah, it, it's sounding fishier every day. It is. I keep. I'm keeping my eye on it. Yes, please do, because I, I won't, and I'll let you do that for the podcast. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, uh, if there's nothing else on Smollett, I guess we had a. Uh, we did have a, a presidential State of the Union the other day, and I know you watched some of it, and I kind of picked up some tidbits of the Union without watching the whole address. Um, you want me to talk about it first? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, overall, most of these State of the Union dresses tend to be uplifting, mm-hmm. um, but I really don't give it much weight or you know pay too much attention to it because a lot of times it just sounds like a bunch of you know grandiose campaign promises. It's just kind of a pep rally of whatever side the the president's on, right? And he just kind of cherry picks data that look, makes him look good. Right. Right. Kind of how you feel about it? Well, and then, and according to Trump, everything is good that he wants that he wants to be good, and it's the best that's ever been. Yeah. So, but he he clearly ignores a lot of the problems with the economy, and in particular, you know, it's just that the debt and the deficit just keep going up, and it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. Now we just are, I don't know if we crossed or about to cross twenty two trillion in the national debt. Yeah, I mean, I would go as far as to say he flat out lies about all that kind of stuff and knows it. I mean, when he was on the campaign trail, he was pointing all that stuff out correctly about Obama, if you if you recall. You know, he was pointing out the bubble economy, how interest rates being artificially low, you know, is, is the only thing propping us up right now. And the economy is actually not doing as good as it looks on the face. I mean, he was nailing everything. And then as soon as he took office, he decided to join that uh, party of—, of of the bubble and acting like everything's awesome and writing it out. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that really, uh, that still bothers me about him is, uh, I clearly remember him calling it a, like a, you know, the market, a big, fat, ugly bubble. You know, after he became president, you know, the bubble was just getting bigger and now he's embraced it and he's claiming or taking credit, you know, for the bubble, which is probably going to end up being a mistake if the bubble, you know, pops. I'm worried about that as well, because if it pops under his watch, we know the next thing to replace him is going to be full-on socialist socialism, someone like, you know, these new wave Democrats. But I'm not totally, you know, I felt your way about it early on in his presidency when he was ignoring these things. But I don't know. Now I'm kind of like Trump just wants everything to be awesome and he's going to act like it is. And he's just kind of giving them a taste of their own medicine. So it's it. I don't know how to feel about it. I know it's it's kind of BS on the economic front, but the Democrats do this all the time from what I've experienced. So it's fun to see them try and challenge it back. You know, I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, he, he said some good things as well. Um, I like that he called out, you know, the demos on socialism. I think that's important because that's really all you have on the Democratic side right now is, you know, some of the contenders out there like Warren and Sanders um, yeah, I think Warren wants to have like a 2% wealth tax every year and Bernie Sanders wants a 77% like a state tax it's like I mean these things are just crazy uh, and, they're, and, and it's not like a simple tax on your income anymore it's like they, they just want to take stuff from you uh, 
Yeah. When, when did my property become the government's property? I mean, that's. I don't know. I hate. I hate. Just. I just hate taxes in general. The idea of them. You know, well, it's, it's anything theft. besides a very, very, very moderate income tax. I mean, I hate the idea. I can't stand the idea of capital gains tax. Yeah, I mean, taxation is theft. Capital gains tax is double theft. And I can't see who who it's. It can't possibly be hurting as much like, you know, really big what hedge fund type of people as it is the middle class. I mean, because someone like me who's not making millions of dollars, you know, if I decide to be a little risky and invest some of my money in something that I think may turn out to pro to profit me well, and it's it's a risk play and it's what I saved, and it does well in that year, I'm getting taxed 25% of the gains in that year if I sell those shares or whatever it is. I mean, that's it's ludicrous. I already this is the money that I earned that was already taxed from my paycheck. And I'm saving and I'm doing it because I'm not getting any interest in the banks thanks to these, you know, super low interest rates that are very spawned because of government intervention in, in the in pushing the Federal Reserve to artificially lower them. You know, what I mean, so it's it's their fault that I'm having to risk my investments in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 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 funny how they, they don't see the problem with, you know, entrepreneurs and business people taking the risk all on their shoulders of putting up the money and developing the business and growing it. Um, if they fail, they lose everything. And, you know, if you do well, government wants to take a piece of it. If you fail and you lose everything, you don't get bailed out. Yeah, they act like there, there was no risk in, on these guys in creating the company and investing and, and putting their life into it. I don't know. It's like all they see is the wealth and think that they were just lucky and walked into it all yeah. and they, they deserve to give some, a lot of it back. I don't know. It's bizarre. It's like, do they really believe this stuff or is it just a narrative to, to gain votes and touch on emotions? I can't tell if someone like this Ocasio-Cortez is just kind of, you know, an idiot and, and really thinks this stuff or she's just kind of an evil genius. I don't know. I think she might be of the idiot category. Uh, I think you're right. She's so young. Um, but I think some of the older, you know, Democrat politicians that have been there a long time, they probably really know mm -hmm. who's yeah. running everything. You know, the big banks and military companies and corporations and stuff. They're the ones that are really kind of pulling the strings. And they, they just go out there and lie. I think they, they've been in politics too long to not know the true score. Wanted to get back into the whole socialism thing. It's like, I don't... I don't understand where it's coming from as far as uh, what evidence do they use to show that it's worked. I mean, it's never worked before, never in like human history. And especially on that, like the scale they're talking about, you know, like a large government type institution of socialism. Well, I know one thing they like to do is point out countries that claim to be a little more socialist in like Denmark and Sweden, and they see how these countries are, what would you call them, like rich countries or, or wealthy countries, and they say socialism works here. Why can't we, um, you know, model this? These are good countries, and they're, they may, they have a lot of money per per capita or whatever it is. I think they do a lot of that. That's their attempt at pointing to an example. 
right? But but they don't they don't look at the history of these countries and see that these were free market capitalistic countries for a hundred years since 1870 to 1970. You know what I mean? Right, right, and and they've gone downhill since they've become more socialist. Yeah, exactly. They they like some something like Sweden. I think it was uh, the fastest growing like wealthy country for that hundred year span. And when they adopted democratic socialism in sort of the 1970s and these more of these welfare programs and a lot of socialistic type of programs, they started going downhill. And now they're at the point where they're trying to reverse a lot of these, right. a lot of these socialist policies. So I don't know, they're not, they're not educated fully maybe on these things. And at the same time, it's like, uh, I mean, these countries aren't truly socialist. They just have a large welfare state. They're actually, uh, many of them are pretty good on, on property rights and rule of law, that type of stuff. So, you know, for Bernie to be talking about them as democratic socialist countries, that's just that's just another lie. And, you know, he's trying to pull it over on people. No, they're more they're actually more free market than than us in a lot of ways. It's yeah, they're not really socialistic countries either. But that's the only examples that I see them try and point to. Yeah, I mean, in, in many respects, I mean, I would even say our country is pretty socialist even right now. If you, uh, so if you look at Heritage Foundation into the Economic Freedom Index every year, we are currently ranked number 12. And at one time, we were number one. If, if you want to talk about, I guess, some programs that are considered socialist, you have, what do you got, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, you got welfare and food stamps, public education, you got this progressive income tax, you know, you get central control of transportation and telecommunication and just a huge, massive uh, regulatory bureaucracy. It, it's, we are already looking pretty socialist, in my opinion. And I know another thing they point to is something like in one of these countries, one of these Nordic countries, that college tuition is free or something like that. And then they say, see, they're doing it. Why can't we do it? But if you look, the people take the students taking out loans are taking out bigger loans to go to college there than they are in America, even though the tuition's free. So it's like it's, uh, the living expenses are out the roof to be able to live there and go to college. The food expenses are crazy. The, they're propping up prices all over the place because they're easy access to to college around there. So I guess if we can get back into I guess one of the other comments on the, on the from Trump was you know, he wants to add another entitlement program now it's just to make us even more socialist I don't understand that one this whole idea of a paid family leave uh, I don't understand how we're gonna pay for this I don't understand how we're paying for everything we are paying for right now that's another reason why I wouldn't vote for any sort of tax increase ever I mean how, how could we vote for a tax increase when we're already spending well outside our means I, th I can't I don't know if I have these numbers right but I think, I think George Bush added, what, about $4 trillion to the national debt, and then Obama did about $8 trillion. And now under Trump, I mean, he is on pace to probably double Obama if he, st if he stayed the, you know, eight years. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, at some point, and nobody knows when, that, that's the whole thing with, you know, I guess... Uh, bubbles popping and things like that. It's like nobody knows when. Like when is that going to matter? When is that national debt really going to matter? Because 
if at this point there's really nobody out there that I know that actually thinks we can pay any of this money back. So if it can't get paid back, then it won't. And then if it won't get paid back, well then, you know, what's left? The default, right? And Yeah, then you have a lot of problems because then you're, there's no way you can raise money again through selling treasury bonds when countries know that you can't ever pay these bonds back. So the dollar is going to collapse through the roof. If the dollar collapses like crazy, we're going to have problems all over the stock market, which everyone's tied to their money. And it's, yeah, it's a huge, huge day of reckoning economically. Right. Uh, I mean, you have, I guess, some of these kind of beltway economics uh, pundits that go on to talking shows and they like to say that, well, you know, we kind of can print our own money so we can never really go bankrupt. We always have plenty of money, but that's, that's not true. I think to me that that's just another way of defaulting. Well, yeah. If And if you admit that and you're not also selling treasury bonds to foreign countries, that wouldn't that mean you mean the the value of the dollar is going to go way 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 down absolutely yeah i mean and that these other countries will obviously recognize that right we'll have all these outstanding debts to pay and it'll get to the point where we can't pay them and we'll have to either tell them uh yeah sorry we're not going to pay that bill or Mm -hmm. We can just send you all these dollars that are going to be basically worthless after we're done printing all the money yeah, that's probably what will happen. And that, that'll, that'll put the nail in the coffin for the U.S. dollar. That's something that the, I think the Democrats and kind of more the Keynesian type ec economists are in favor of. But uh, if, you know, if anything, that's going to like hurt the average Joe and the poor person way, way more than it's going to hurt a rich person. Because, you know, a lot of rich people, they don't keep their assets in dollars. You know, they own tons of real estate, they own gold, they own, you know, uh, priceless artwork. They'll have other sort of non-dollar denominated assets. And plus, they can move around their finances their, and their money so much faster and easier than an average Joe or poor person can. They can get out of the dollar and get into other currencies if they want. Yeah, it's something that Trump's going to have to sort of address eventually. Or it's going to be big trouble. And I don't know. At this point, I think he's just trying to get out of it, get out of the eight years, if he makes eight years, without that kind of thing bursting over him. And I think he's doing, as far as that goes, I think he's doing a good job as far as somehow pushing the bubble and expanding it without collapsing. You know, there's a lot just behind the enthusiasm that he, that he brings about everything sort of allows the bubble to keep on going, I, I think, anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's it, to me, it, it looks like he's definitely kicking the can. So he's not right. solving problems. Um, he's kind of just pushing things along. Um, you know, interest rate hikes were certainly starting to prick the bubble. And, you know, he came out really hard against, you know, the Fed hiking interest rates. And it looks like he's gotten them to stop now at least for the time being. So yeah. that may allow the bubble to continue to grow a little bit. And then if he gets some sort of trade deal with China, whatever that looks like, you know, that'll probably goose the markets up a little bit more as well. Yeah. And at first, the first thing that did it was tax cuts for businesses and stuff. That really caused the stock market to get a nice boost when he first got in. But yeah, he's kicking, he's kicking the, the can down the road and... 
he tied he's tying his success to the stock market. I mean, he's bragging about it on Twitter every time it reaches a new high. So he hates the idea of the Federal Reserve rate, rate you know, increasing the rates and possibly pricking the bubble, which is the opposite of what he was talking like when he was a candidate. So that sort of hypocrisy it still bothers me. I mean, all the politicians do it. Yeah, we were hoping he wouldn't do that, you know, but it is what it is. I guess, so an- another good thing I liked, I don't know if I have the exact words right, I think it was something like, a great country doesn't participate in endless war. Yeah, I figured you'd like that part. Yeah, that to me is really important. That's one of my, you know, hot button issues is, you know, we've, we've been in Afghanistan now for like, I don't know, what is it, like 18 years or something? It's just, that's the longest war in U.S. history. You know, what are we trying to accomplish there? Uh, we're currently now even, like, negotiating with the people we were fighting with. It's, you know, just leave. You know, mm-hmm. this is an unwinnable war. It's not worth the cost, uh, even in money or in lives. What about, what about, like the U.S. still intervening in some, you know, when, when the time comes, when they need to, uh, or are you totally against intervention of any sort for the U.S.? I'd say mostly against. I think every time we intervene, we cause more problems. Um, you know, we got, got duped into the Iraq war and intervened there, and Iraq is so much more worse off without Hussein than it was before. Um, then we had, I mean, the whole Syria thing came like out of the blue. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who knows? Some people think it's because of, you know, they Syria wouldn't let or Assad wouldn't let us or Saudi Arabia or whoever build a pipeline, oil pipeline going through their region. And so then Obama and Hillary were like, a, oh, Assad has to go. He's gassing his own people. Of course, there's like zero corroborating evidence that he ever gassed his own people. Um, you know, many a lot of that could easily have been done by, you know, CIA-led operations or uh, uh, Al Qaeda, who then, you know, Obama funded uh, to create ISIS and fight against Assad to try to get rid of Assad. I mean, it's just we tend to cause more problems than help at the moment. I think we're better off pulling back. Um, I think I don't think a lot of countries around the world look at us as the good guys anymore. And part of the problem is we still think we are the good guys. I think your way, this libertarian, this is a libertarian perspective, right, on on sort of foreign affairs. I I think it's worth a try nowadays to go that sort of route and yeah. kind of see what happens for a while. I mean, we can we can speak from evidence and say like, look, what, what we've been doing for the past 20 years hasn't really worked. So maybe let's try something different. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm probably okay with that kind of thinking because it's just fair at this point because of evidence, like you said, of, of it not working, the more in, military intervention kind of big brother of the global world uh, hasn't really worked out that well. I'm okay with kind of going and seeing a more hands-off approach, but I wouldn't, you know, it bothers me the idea of maybe some sort of foreign entity growing large, like maybe another ISIS kind of thing. Um, if those ever spawn up in the Mideast and, and they're getting kind of scary and threatening, 
you know, I don't know. I'm not opposed to sending down some some teams of spec ops and eliminating a lot of these threats. Well, I guess for, for me, for me, it's got to pass. Uh, it's got to pass a test. The test for me is that if you're not willing to sign up your family members to go and fight in a war, then you probably shouldn't be voting for one. You know, if it does, if it's not that serious, doesn't pass that sort of a test. Well, then, you know, mm-hmm. aren't you being hypocritical by, you know, proposing war and being in favor of it if you don't want to send yourself or one of your loved ones over to fight? Yeah, are you still okay with America having a super strong military and budgeting accordingly for that? No. That, I, I see you don't like that. I would. I would. Yeah, that would bother me. I, I like knowing that I'm living in a country that's the most badass and you can't mess with us. Yeah, I know, but that, that's, that's the kind of, I guess, the way I used to feel about it. And, you know, we, I mean, we spend more on our military than the next nine countries combined. And we've been doing that for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And there is no country that comes even close to us. I mean, you put Russia and China together and we're still much more powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of the problem is they have nukes and we have nukes. So, um, but even with, like with conventional warfare, it's like our military is, is by far and away number one. Um, there's very little chance of anybody attacking us significantly. Uh, I mean, you had the 9/11 attacks, and you could talk about that as a is that you know more. Uh, like a blowback type operation because of all of our intervention in the Mideast um, or not. That's a whole separate discussion, but I mean, but military strength-wise, nobody's even close. And we're watching all these countries anyway. Uh, we could easily, you know, get our kind of war machine going if we had to. Uh, but do we really need uh, like 140 bases around the world. I mean, and the amount of money it costs to keep these things going, the amount of good, I guess, that money could do back here at home is just probably mind-boggling. I don't disagree with that. I don't see why we need that many bases around the world and we need troops stationed all over the place and constantly not bring them home. Totally okay with that. I mean, we have we have troops in countries that we don't even know about. They won't even tell us. You know, this is all, a lot of it's kept... Uh, secret from the, uh, the American people. A lot of, you know, it's funny, a lot of politicians don't even know. Uh, sometimes, I, I think this happened like several months back, a couple of soldiers got killed. I don't know where it was. Zimbabwe or some other African country. And, you know, they had to address Congress on it. And um, so they addressed Congress first. They're like, hey, by the way, we have soldiers in this country. And then, oh yeah, and then four of them just got killed. So, you know, even the people we put in the office that are supposed to know what's going on, they don't even know what's going on. Mm. Um, do they want to know? You know, who knows? Probably not. But still, those are the representatives that are at least supposed to be voting on whether we go to war or not. You know, there, there's, there's no oversight. I think we need to shrink all government spending. And even if we shrank the military by half, we'd still have the most powerful military in the world. I'm, I'm like I'm like 75% with you. And then we, we have this natural, just defensive 
uh, I guess, barrier set up. We have these huge oceans on either side of the country. You know, we have an ally to the north, uh, an ally basically to the south. I mean, Mexico doesn't have really much of an army to speak of. It, um, very little chance of anybody, you know, invading us. So, and that, that was supposed to be the primary purpose of, you know, uh, our military from a constitutional point of view. It was supposed to be just to protect us, not to intervene mm -hmm. in all these other countries' problems. And, um, I understand, you know, some of the rhetoric behind it, and they wanted kind of like the world police and the do-gooder type thing, but um, we never go just to do good. It never works out that way. We, there's always a lingering... Uh, you know, reason why we're there is that that country has some natural resources that we want. Um, you know, can, what what pressure can we put on that country to give us a favorable kind of, uh, I guess, trade or is it, is it put a pressure on a different country? There, there's all sorts of shenanigans in the background. It just they're completely unnecessary, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and do you think that? being the number one military in the world is a deterrent for anything that, you know, could come up, sort of acts as a, as a protectant, protector of the country? I mean, I guess so. But how, how much do you need to spend to be number one, considering, you know, it would take... So as, long as, the, as long as the Navy SEALs are still the most badass spec ops groups in the world, then I'm good. Uh, yeah, I mean they are, but and it, uh, like the Navy SEALs to me would be a highly, I guess, protected resource. So I wouldn't I wouldn't waste them, you know, bothering with like little fights here and there around the world. It's like just stay. Oh out. God, yeah. Talk talk about um. If you want to go to that route, yeah, there's plenty of examples and stories where the Navy SEALs are completely wasted in practical suicide missions that accomplish nothing. I, I, that does bother me. Yeah, it, it's like you, 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 train, you train these guys for years to become these, like, you know, killing machines and, you know, use them wisely. Don't just get into, like, willy-nilly conflicts. I, I totally forgot that that bothered me, actually. There's a really good book called The, uh, the Red Circle by uh, Brandon Webb, a, a Navy SEAL sniper, the guy who created the Navy SEAL sniping school. And you, you read some of the missions that he sent out on after becoming a SEAL, and you're just like, why in the world is our U.S. government sending these guys to do this? It's it's called it's accomplishing nothing, and it's risking their entire lives. And these are like practically million dollar assets. Yeah, so I'm a little bit on board with you there, and I think I think it's probably time to uh, try your way anyway. Go ahead. What were you saying? Well, we could probably talk about war forever, but. Let's get back to the State of the Union. There really wasn't too much else I wanted to say about it. There was a funny optic in it. I, you know, I don't know what all the women in uh, the women representatives they were wearing white. I'm not really sure what that was about, but they pretty much and they were the Democratic the Democrats they were they weren't clapping at a single thing Trump was doing. You know, everyone's giving a clap, standing. You know, whether it's um we've we've lifted this many people out of poverty or this many people came off of food stamps. You know, those are good things to, to celebrate and, cl and clap about, but they just refused. Anti-Trump is what was going on there. And it was just really pathetic looking. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, was one of the big ones they, they showed a lot. And she's just pouting, not 
clapping at all, not smiling. Yeah, I mean, they're like, they're like a bunch of children. Yeah, it's it's so it's so childish. Exactly true. The only time they did clap was when it was uh, when he when Trump mentioned that there is more women representatives ever in the history. Then they clapped because that's like one of the main things they care about. But it was just silly. It was just silly looking and stupid and funny. It was pretty funny. Did, did you see that, or were you just listening? No, I heard. I heard about them wearing white and not clapping. It's just, eh, it's kind of what do you expect? You know, if 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 Obama had given the same speech, they'd be clapping the entire time, right? So I mean, it's obviously, you know, you can call it like partisan pouting. It's kind of a funny way of putting it's it. It's just so stupid. You know, they got there and they're like, look. We're not going to clap at a single thing Trump says, you know, and it made him look real stupid when Trump's saying some good things that they should be, they should be applauding. Well, I don't know about you, but once again, looks like the politicians ruined everybody's night for about an hour and went out there and made a spectacle of themselves and continue to prove what children they really are. I think we'll call it quits here for this podcast and hopefully everybody will come back and listen to the next one. Thank you very much.